If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. Uh, wines, I find them extremely helpful in ha- helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go ball in the air, deep right center go. field. Two run, home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two run, home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by the Green Salute. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at MyGreenSolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Let's jump into the show. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of BSN Rockies, and on today's podcast... Actually going to do a little bit of a a specialty one today. Going to spend most of the time playing an interview I did uh, via telephone just a few days ago with somebody who's really been uh, at the forefront of this whole juiced ball discussion. Uh, It's something I I said we've talked about a little bit here and there, and I wrote the juiced bats story uh, a little less than a week ago, and so that's part of why I wanted to ramp up our conversation uh, about it. I hadn't done much discussion throughout the year, and it's a major storyline going on in Major League Baseball this year. At first, as, as I talk about in the interview, you'll hear I didn't really want to dive into it, uh, but I had to, and a big part of the reason why was the mounting evidence and uh, a big part of that mounting evidence was coming from this Twitter account at Juiced Ball Expo One. I spoke to the proprietor of that account, guy named Mars. You gotta love New York. Uh, a true hardcore baseball fan. We'll we'll forgive him for a day for being a, a Mets fan and appreciate him. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Uh, for just a baseball fan who, like many people out there, I think is concerned about the direction of the game. We talked about this a little bit 
with Patrick Lyons last time he was on the podcast, and I think Patrick did a pretty good job of making the argument for why maybe it's not such a big deal. Maybe this is just a new era we're living in, and everyone's playing inside of it, and adjustments will just need to be made. But I also thought Mars did a really nice job here of explaining why so many fans are so frustrated with the baseballs, and that it's not just about making excuses for your team losing or or whatever. This has obviously been a, a strange conversation to have with the Rockies having such a bad year. You know, I'll, I'll start talking about the baseballs or when I start talking about the umpires, people think I'm conflating the two things, that the Rockies are having a bad season because of the baseballs or because of the umpires. And while you always have to recognize the possibility that there could be some factor there, specifically uh, with the baseballs, and we've talked before about why certain pitchers, guys like Kyle Freeland, who also guys like Chris Sale, we'll talk about that in the interview, um, it might be affecting them more, certainly why it would be more of an issue at Coors Field, but all that being said, that's not even really the point. There, We could discuss and debate that. That's another interesting conversation, but the, the point moreover more importantly is that there is something very clearly different about the baseballs and it's changing the way the game is played and whether or not that's a good or a bad thing will be up to each one of you to decide uh, for yourself but I wanted to make sure that we got uh, some information from a very very passionate baseball person who's been following this closely since before most people knew it was going on and I do recommend you follow the Twitter account I mention it later for sure uh, but it just it, it, you can just scroll through and see all of this evidence and you'll see a lot going against Rockies pitchers for whatever that is worth as well before we get too deep into that though um, I, I did want to leave off for the next podcast analysis mostly of the last couple of games the Rockies have played and I'll probably do a, a Q&A with most of you on whatever your thoughts are over these last couple of games. But, of course, there was one story that emerged on Wednesday afternoon that I do want to discuss briefly here uh, before we get to our guys, uh, our guy Mars, and that was, of course, Tim Melville. Melville mania, baby. Uh, that was, you know what? I, I got to start with our, our guy, A.J. Hayfley, BSN Avalanche, uh, proprietor, second time I've, I've gotten to use that word, I suppose. Uh and he sent out this tweet that says, Tim Melville is why I love sports. And that's absolutely, I could not agree more. It's one of those things that doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often in other walks of life. And we all woke up on Wednesday morning to the same news. I got the, the news probably an hour before most of you did that, John Gray was, in fact, going to be shut down for the remainder of the season with a fractured left foot. And it just, for everybody involved, felt like a huge gut punch in a season that has been gut punch after gut punch. Uh, tough losses, tough injuries, really, you know, bad moments here and there. And one of the positive signs throughout all of it has been John Gray. He has been the light in the darkness and thinking back to where he's come from from a season ago it was everything you could have hoped for out of a rebound campaign from John Gray he was 
and probably still is, the brightest positive story for the 2019 Colorado Rockies. And so that it would end this way, in a way that's, I suppose, apt for the season, right? It, it makes perfect sense that that's how it would go down. But it's just absolutely brutal. No, you know, I sent out a, a thing on Twitter that said, just absolutely brutal that the Rockies have lost their by far their best starting pitcher for the remainder of the season. Some people saying, ah, what does it matter? And some people pushing back on, on me saying John Gray isn't even really all that good. That conversation is one I, I can only I, I, I can only deal so much with. Uh I, I, I gotta start throwing out all the numbers there. I mean, it's it's not that difficult to argue that John Gray already at twenty seven years old or I think I think he's twenty seven is the fifth best pitcher in Rockies history at worst. Now, of course, some of that, (laughs) you got to look at the history of Rockies pitching having not been especially fantastic. On the other hand, you do have to compare people who've had to deal with that environment to each other. Comparing John Gray's raw ERA is to, to Clayton Kershaw or whoever else is no more fair than comparing Rockies batting titles over the years and saying, well, see, they've got all the best contact hitters because they always win the batting title. You do have to recognize the environment. So John Gray having an ERA that sits just over four or just under four, while that might not be super impressive, excuse me, across Major League Baseball, his ERA plus has been top 10 pretty much every time he's been healthy and pitching. Obviously, last year was was a huge issue for John Gray, but this has been... The guy you wanted to see. He's only had one game this year where he just straight up lost the baseball game. That one out of the 20-something starts that he's made. And he's had several more where he was so good, he almost single-handedly won the baseball game, including his last two times out where he went eight innings at Coors Field. Yeah, one of those was against the Marlins, but the other one was against the Dodgers. John Gray has been absolutely fantastic, and I will not sit still for the arguments that he's only okay or that he only looks good because the rest of the Rockies pitching is bad. He has been fantastic. No, it it's not going to kill them in the standing since the Rockies were already well out of it. But for anybody who enjoys watching baseball, which is everybody still listening to this podcast, it is a bummer that now you, you knew once every fifth day you turned on the game, if John was out there pitching, the Rockies had a really good chance not just to win the baseball game, but to play a good one. To go out and play seven innings of quality baseball. And with John lately, there's a chance you could watch a Rockies game and not even have to watch the bullpen. <laughs> and that's, again, that's what fans want right now. Just show me some good baseball. And... This news just means that now once every fifth day, there's going to be a total question mark. One, and now twice, we'll see how, how quickly Kyle Freeland can get back out there. But for people just trying to watch some baseball, that know the Rockies aren't going to get back into it in the standings, but want to see the team with a strong finish, put forward their best foot, see what these young guys have got, and you're going to be checking in, it would have been nice to continue to watch John Gray polish up what has been a very promising season Instead of it ending like this. The other thing is that the Rockies are now in this weird, very difficult spot where they have a lot of players. They have so many question marks going into 2020. 
And unfortunately, some of their most positive contributions this year are question marks going into 2020 right now. As great as Scott Oberg has been, you really don't know how, the, and he's had blood clot issues before, but right now there's a huge question mark with their best reliever going into 2020, which you weren't expecting a couple of weeks ago. Same thing with John Gray. I think he can come back, but I'm not a doctor. I don't know about fractured foots and how that could impact him going into next year. Now, Kyle Freeland's got this ankle thing, David Dahl, with his injury. And, and you really would like to see them, uh, particularly Freeland and Dahl, get back out there. Again, not because they need to win games to get into the standings, but you want to feel confident about what you're going to be getting out of some of these players going into 2020. You don't want all of your best players in this weird injury situation of like, well, you feel pretty positive about their production, but can they recover in time? You know, while you're still trying to solve all of these other issues with the bullpen or, or whatever else. And so that's the, I think the most frustrating thing, you know, as opposed to just the, the sort of narrative of, I ah, didn't want a season to end this way. It would have been nice to put a bow on it instead of having it go out like this. More than that, you just want to know that you've got a, a healthy and reliable John Gray going into next season uh, same thing with Scott Oberg, same thing with David Dahl, and that's a frustrating place for the team to be in because now they don't just have the question marks of the players who have underperformed to solve. They even have to solve some of these question marks of the players who've really performed, may arguably even overperformed, particularly Scott Oberg, and you just don't know. Absolutely brutal. But one thing they didn't know about <laughs> is, of course, Tim Melville. I, I do want to mention as I get into the Melville conversation, you all know now that Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of BSN Denver, and we have got a big party coming up tomorrow evening. We're going to be down in Denver at Blake Street Tavern drinking Breck brews, watching the Broncos, watching the Rockies, uh, seeing who they put out there on the mound. We're all going to find out uh, together. We're going to be drinking some vanilla porter, some oatmeal stout, some avalanche amber, and of course, those strawberry skies, the beer of the summer. We've got tickets to give away, shirts, all kinds of fun prizes going on. Plus, we're just going to be drinking beer and watching sports. So if you've got time, Saturday, the 24th, and happen to be anywhere near lower downtown Denver, come hang out with us at Blake Street Tavern. Drink some Breckenridge brews. Uh, you can head over to bsndenver.com and RSVP on the events calendar if you want to make sure that you've got space there. We had a lot of people out at the last one, so it's probably a good idea. Helps us know, too, how many people are going to be there. Hit me up on Twitter if you think you're, you're going to be there so I can uh, be on the lookout for you. I'm at Drew Creaseman, at BSN Rockies. Patrick Lyons should be there. There's a small chance Manny Rondawa swings by. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. So let us know, and uh, it, it's going to be a blast. All right. Mr. Melville, congratulations to you, sir. Uh, that was something else. And... Uh, Again, to go back to what AJ said earlier, he's absolutely right. These are the stories that make sports so wonderful. Uh, most of his teammates had never met him before the day started. This was an absolute emergency poll. There, you know, he'd only been in the Rockies system for a couple of months. Uh, he'd spent 11 years in the minor leagues toiling away, and it only managed to get 14 innings of. MLB time, 11 years of professional baseball. He put 14 innings in Major League Baseball with an 11.05 ERA. And you saw 
Not a lot of stuff. He was topping out at 92 miles an hour, and he threw some fastballs in the 80s. But he mixed. He matched. He slowed up. He moved the ball all the way around. And I'll say this. While I don't expect it to happen again necessarily, it wasn't a fluke outing. It wasn't total randomness where he just was getting absolutely lucky. He got a little bit lucky in the sixth or seventh innings. There were some line drives uh, that were hit kind of right at people that helped him out a bit. But for the most part, Tim Melville just pitched a hell of a baseball game, particularly his back foot curveball. I was very impressed by Uh, the Rockies don't have a pitcher who executes a a right to left back foot curveball very well. Uh, Herman Marquez has it in his arsenal and his curveball is devastating, but he doesn't throw it to lefties as often because if he hangs it, it's a really easy pitch for them to see and hit Uh, Melville either had no concern he was going to hang it uh, or or guy was just out there pitching for his life or he just managed to execute it every time he really needed to he got the ball down and in he kept guys off of everything that he was throwing Uh, the arm slot was constant from curveball to change up to fastball I think through a slider too Uh, but he just stayed unpredictable he pitched to the hitter's weaknesses rather than trying to pitch to whatever his own strength may or may not be. Uh, not, not not to put too fine a point on it, but because he's not a pitcher of extraordinary strength. He, he's not a guy who can just pound the inside fastball and it's just too good. You can't do anything with it or go fastball, fastball, slider, fastball, fastball, slider, because even if you know it's coming, the stuff's too good. You move it around a little bit. There are guys who can get away with that. They're really good pitchers who can pitch that way. Uh, But Tim Melville basically put on a clinic to any high school or college or minor league pitcher who can't throw 95. Here's how you get dudes out. Here's how you pitch. Like this is what, that's what pitching used to look like all the time 20 years ago. And, and maybe not even quite that long, 10 to 15 years and, and earlier painting the corners, moving it in and out and up and down. Uh, and, and like I said, attacking the the hitter's weaknesses. That was, I think, the biggest issue is that even, like you saw a lot of, early on he wasn't getting into hitter's counts. He was pounding the zone because the guys had no idea what was coming. So they'd look at strike one or strike one and strike two, and that puts you as a pitcher in a fantastic spot. That's how he succeeded for the first three innings. Put the ball in the strike zone pitch one and two because they don't know what's coming. They're, they're trying to get a feel for it. They're trying to look at it. And that's something you can get away with when you're an unknown commodity. That's not something that, for example, Kyle Freeland can do. He can't go out in the first three innings and say, well, I'm just going to throw strike one every time because the guys have seen him before. They know what it looks like out of his hand, and they're not going to sit back waiting to get a feel. They've got a feel. They're going to hammer it. We've seen him do that. But Melville, they've got no idea. So he gets away with that for the first couple of innings. But what he did after that was what impressed me the most. He wouldn't give in. So he, so now he starts working around a little bit. Okay, they've seen it. I'm going to work the edges. Then he'd get into a 2-0 count. He's in a 2-0 count. Guys all geared up for a fastball. He'd just break off another curve. And they'd be swinging right over the top of it or throw him a changeup. And in so doing, he works seven innings and only gives up two hits. The one when Cattell uh, Marte finally waited back 
on a breaking ball and hammered it. It just barely got over the wall. It was absolutely destroyed for sure, but it, they almost scored no runs. That was almost a double off the wall. He almost threw seven shutout innings of two-hit baseball, and it wasn't entirely because of luck or the Diamondbacks being caught off guard. Yeah, sure, they had the game plan for John Gray, and now they're going, we don't know what this guy has, and they're feeling him out at the same time. He pitched a hell of a ball game. There's no way around it. I mean, if you took the pitches that he threw and recreated them and put them out there against just about any lineup in baseball, he was going to find success. The question is whether or not he can repeat that. And and my guess, just again, I've barely seen the guy pitch based on his career numbers, is that in future starts, that curveball will hang a couple of times and it'll get banged. Hang it, bang it. Uh, the same thing with the changeup. That, you know, his command won't quite be there. The movement won't be the same. And he'll make a few more mistakes. And because he doesn't have the stuff that other guys have, have the, the mistakes will be absolutely punished. But he made very, very few mistakes in that game against the Diamondbacks. And that's what it comes down to. Baseball is a game of execution of mistakes, especially as a pitcher. And so a lot of times, you know, people will say, that's why I always get frustrated whenever somebody does something awesome and, like, if somebody throws a no-hitter. You go, yeah, well, it was the Marlins. I say, I don't care who it is. You throw a fastball down the middle and a mis-execution to a major league hitter, you do that once or twice, three times, you're going to get hit. You make five mistakes in a baseball game. Two of them might be line drives right at a guy, but three of them are going to be in the gap or over the wall or wherever else they go. That's the nature of the game, right? It's You might get lucky making one or two mistakes. You make ten mistakes, you're dead. And, and, and really, the, the quality of the opposition only changes that to some extent as a pitcher in particular. You hit your spots, you make your pitches, you execute right. The odds are extraordinarily in your favor. Most of the damage done to pitchers in Major League Baseball comes when they make a mistake. And, and hitters will tell you that. I'm waiting for him to miss his spot. And there are certain pitchers you know they're not going to, so you've got to uh, approach it a little bit differently. But the Diamondbacks waited nine innings for Tim Melville. Well, they waited seven innings for Tim Melville to miss his spot, to really make some mistakes, and he just didn't. And it's a reminder that, you know, we all get caught up in velo and spin rates and all these other stuff, and that stuff's great, and, and it's important, and it's more projectable moving forward. You know, if Melville had done exactly what he did but with a fastball that was touching 94-95, I might be sitting here talking to you about, hey, this guy might be able to carve a, a spot out in the rotation for the future. As it stands, that seems unlikely, but he's out there pitching for a job, pitching for the world to show him, like, if, if you're a baseball fan, how are you not rooting for Tim Melville? Like, this guy refused to give up on the game. He began the year in the independent baseball league that's testing out robot strike zones and stealing first base. He has less Twitter followers than I do, and he's out there on a major league mound pitching one of the best games the Colorado Rockies have gotten this season. And not just because the final results, like I said, he pitched a hell of a baseball game. And with these injuries, it looks like there's going to be an opportunity here for him to get at least one more start. And so teams out there are going to be looking. Everyone can use pitchers. Hey, maybe this guy's the Rockies' long reliever of the future. 
They certainly have spots they could stand to get some guys. If he happens to be a diamond in the rough, late bloomer who's finally ready to grab the reins of his major league career, we talk all the time about how baseball players are human beings. Yes, I'm in favor of the robot strike zone and all of that stuff, but that doesn't make me against the human element. This is the human element. This right here. Tim Melville is the human element of Major League Baseball. Let's see if this human has found something inside of himself that is going to propel him after 11 years in minor leagues to be a major league ball player for at least a couple of years. Out of the bullpen, as a starter, who knows? But this is his shot. This is his chance. That Eminem song. Better lose himself in the music in the moment. (laughs) He better never let this go. Because this is Tim Melville's shot. And and it's been, honestly, it, it was a nice thing to watch on Wednesday afternoon for everybody involved. The John Gray news was just brutal. Uh, the season has been brutal. Another tough loss last night to the Cardinals. But for a brief moment on Wednesday afternoon, we all got to put all of that aside and... Embrace Melville mania. He's driving in runs. He had had his first major league hit and two RBI in that game. No, again, you can't expect stuff in the future. He probably goes out his next time and gets shelled. But thank you for the moment, Mr. Melville. And and, and he may not. Like I said, this could be a guy who's carving out a spot right now And that's a pretty cool thing to get to watch as an analyst, as a fan. Uh, These are the stories that make professional sports truly amazing. The Eagles grabbing a a kicker out of some local bar or, you know, backup, backup hockey goalies who just had a ticket to the game that night. Hey, get the pads on. You're in. Uh, This stuff is great. And, And I was mesmerized by Every second of it. Oh, before I throw it to break, I also want to say I thought the the YouTube broadcast did a pretty nice job. I I took some shots. I thought they had a couple of dumb comments, and Eric Burns can get on my nerves. And it was definitely very Diamondbacks oriented, and it that was obviously built in from the beginning that that was going to be the case. But I did think that the overall presentation of the YouTube broadcast was. Really good. I also enjoyed that they continued to do a a great deal of analysis rather than commercial breaks. Because at one point I did turn the volume off so I could turn Jack and Jerry back on. I just appreciate their analysis and sort of timbre and and rhythms anyway. But uh, when they went to commercial, I turned the YouTube back on and then stayed with it for a while. Because I'd much rather hear more baseball analysis than commercials. And that was pretty fun. And And I thought there was some pretty good stuff in there. Uh, from an analysis standpoint as well. And they were having interesting conversations about the shift and robot umpires. And I don't always need those philosophical debates going on during my baseball game, but when the team is out of it <laughs> and, and you know, sort of a weird game. And, and they were having fun with the Tim Melville stuff as well. So i got to say overall, uh, I'm going to give a, a, a thumbs up to the YouTube broadcast. Uh, I, I'd like to see... Uh, some other broadcasters get a chance at that format, but I thought th- the format was well done, the focus was well done, the in-game interviews were well done with Adam Jones and Tony Walters, and overall, 
uh, I'm just glad that there's an opportunity out there, too, for people to watch baseball games on the Internet because we all know Major League Baseball has made that a bit more difficult than it should be. Uh, but anyway, let's all give one more toast, one more cheers to, to Tim Melville, uh, see what happens that next time out. But those are the, the moments you just have to sit back and enjoy. Let's take a quick break. When we come back on the other side of it, you're going to hear from Mars all about the juiced baseball and what can, should, or maybe shouldn't be done about it. Hey, if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how to be a mature, refined adult, or you just really like wine, you have to check out my friends over at Weinster. Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America today. What makes Weinster special is that the majority of wineries they work with are too small to attract the attention of retailers, meaning not only are you getting access to some delicious and hard-to-find wines, you're also supporting real people making real wine, not one of the few large corporations producing most of the wines available in stores. With Weinster, all you have to do is sit back and relax as they curate a hand-picked shipment from the best small wine producers in the U.S. Then, when you fall in love with a couple of wines, as a club member, you can have them sent right back to your door with no shipping cost. I especially love Weinster because it was founded by three CU Boulder alums, so sign up today with the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment of wine and start being a real grown-up. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R. Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer like entire team instruction and fitness programs you know the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge positive attitude work ethic and fun that their summer camps provide your child will want to play on one of their teams check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more all right welcome back into the bsn rockies podcast presented by the green solution i'm excited to be joined now by phone uh, by somebody who i discovered on twitter uh using the handle at juiced ball expo one everyone should be following it uh goes by the name of mars which is also fun man thanks for taking the time to talk to us a little bit about what's probably the story of major league baseball in 2019 Great to talk to you, Drew. I've uh, read all about you, and I'm excited to uh, get started. Yeah, so let's uh, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Why don't we start with uh, your initial 
sort of eye-opening moments of coming into an understanding that there was clearly something different about the baseballs, the home run totals, and everything that we all know is going on now. But you were onto this pretty early. Right, I was. And um, I'd say I got a, um, I figured out that something was going on around um, in the second half of the 2015 season because I'm a Mets fan. And in the second half of 2015, they, they went from a, such, such an anemic offense in the first half of that season to a record, franchise record breaking, um, home run total in the second half of 2015, just like that after the All-Star break. It was just so, so odd. And they were just hitting balls out of the park that I just wasn't, I wasn't sure what was going on. Is there something different about the game? So, Eventually, I read an article uh, the next year, and that really um, put everything into perspective. Yeah, and I think it's funny, you know, a lot of us might be a little bit more pre-programmed to be frustrated at a home run that goes against your team, right? And, and you go, oh, man, that one didn't really count. But you're you're saying, no, your own guys are out there hitting some out, and you're going, no, wait a minute. Uh, I, I know we got a couple of guys with some pop, but where is this coming from? Right. I mean, I'm not. I'm not biased towards the subject. It's it's happening everywhere, and this this helped the Mets in in all aspects. This helped the Mets get to the World Series. I mean, you look at Daniel Murphy. He hit like uh, six home runs in a row in six games during those playoffs. Off of some of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah. Yeah, John Lester, Jake Arrieta, all those guys. He was hitting bombs off of them. It was very odd. And so, you know, we, we sort of move forward here. And I think for a while there, it had just been this kind of unspoken thing. Some people were talking about it. No one was really going on record. But then all of a sudden we see the home run numbers really start to spike. Um, when did you decide that it was a good idea to maybe start tracking some of this stuff? Well, you're talking about making the account or to... Um even before well, that, if you were if you were tracking it, uh, even before you started making the account, when did you decide? Hey, look, this is something that instead of just you know noticing, this is something I actually want to dive into. I, I think in 2016, I think um, early on in 2016, after the 2015 season, I really wanted to see if that was just a fluke in the increase in home runs around MLB in the second half, or is it going to go through the next year and it's something that you know, is an actual um, conspiracy because, uh, you know, everyone I, w- I was talking to about this said, I don't know, it was just one se- half a season. They said, wait till 2016. I said, okay. And and next thing you know, the trends went even, even higher. Yeah, uh, and it, it started to get pretty crazy out there. And then I think more people started snooping around and it really started to blow up in that World Series. Or was that the, the, the no, that was the next year with uh, Houston. Yeah, that was 2017. Yeah. Um, can you take us through just uh, your your reactions, how you must have felt watching that particular World Series? Because now all eyes are on the game of baseball. Uh, we know, you, you and I and everyone listening to this knows there's a difference between people who like and enjoy and watch baseball and even maybe watch a lot of it and people who need this game to live and breathe every day. And so for those of us in that second category, we knew by then something was going on. But for the world at large, I think that was kind of the the coming out party for the conversation. I would say the same thing. I mean, 
there were in, in the All-Star break of 2017, there were reporters, you know, it's All-Star break, people need things to talk about, and they discussed with Manfred about the balls in the All-Star break of 2017. Manfred kind of pushed that away because he, he keeps pushing those things. He doesn't get right on top of the subject. He always likes to push things away. And um, uh, he, um, yeah, and then that's it. I mean, the talk about it was over until the, old, the, the World Series games, and all the pitchers were saying that the Bulls were really slick, including Berlander and Dallas Keuchel, who, who both had a great year that whole season. So they, they have every right to complain. Oh, right. And I went and looked at, and I, I had just written the piece the other day about the role that the, the bats are playing in this. And one thing that didn't make it in the article, but I was checking uh, ballparks for the number of home runs on pitches that were not barreled, that were not hit especially well. And Minute Maid Ballpark has given up 25 such home runs this year. So no wonder it's Houston Astros pitchers, even as good as they are, as you mentioned, going. And we know that the, the Crawford box is out there. But then when we saw it in the World mm -hmm. Series, it's just... Yeah, these home runs are they're, they're just the ball is flying out. So then I guess the next step is uh then when did you decide to make the the Twitter account and and decide this needs to be archived. Right. So in I'd say last year I thought about it. I just never went through with it because it just I don't know, it wasn't I was angry, but in the 29 to begin the 2019 season you saw the first month um I, it was at a crazy pace, even on the first month to begin with, that home runs were going to, they're going to take over their all-time lead. And, um, I said, that's it. That's enough is enough. People have to know what's going on. I, I looked at the, um, search in Twitter, juice ball and see how many people are talking about it. And there's like one to two tweets every couple of days. And now when you look at it today, everyone's all over it. Everyone's all, you get 50 tweets every couple hours. It, the way things have changed uh, this season, after especially after Verlander came out and said uh, said his piece about it, really um, op opened people's eyes. Yeah. yeah, and I think what turned around on it, I, I was saying to uh, a friend yesterday. You know, I I got into covering baseball because I want to talk about why a guy throws a three-two slider away instead of a fastball up and in, or what a guy can do to run the base as well, even if he doesn't have the best speed. I never wanted to be somebody who had to talk about the smoothness of a baseball and where the the laces are placed. Right, like that's not why I got into this. So I avoided this topic. Uh, to some extent there and what really started to turn me around on it was the first couple of times reporters brought it up to players uh, or uh, uh, manager Buddy Black off record or even Bud Black on record around me and I only saw two different reactions one I don't really want to talk about that or two off record of course of course there's right. something different with the baseballs. Of course this is going on not one person on or off record has straight up said to me Absolutely not. There's no way. That's a total conspiracy. That's not happening. Nobody on or off record has had a, a denial like that. And most of them have gone the other way and, and have said, hey, it is what it is. We got to live with it. But yeah, of course, there's something different with the baseball. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's not fair to the pitchers, as you said, because also, I want I wanted to just get just for a minute into the pace of play situation because of the juice balls, and I'll tell you why. The, if the goal of the pitchers is to completely miss the bat, because if, even if you get a piece of the barrel and it goes out, 
it still results in a home run. The pitcher gets, you know, he gets screwed. So he has to aim for completely missing the bat. And the, the goal of the hitter is they're going to swing as hard as they can because if they touch the ball, it's going to go out. So that's why there's so many swings and misses in baseball, which is prolonging at bats. You can't change the pace of play just by um, taking away the intentional walk, going uh, four pitches or mound visits. It's based on how many pitches you have per at bat. And that's what I think is also prolonging the game. Now, that's an excellent point, especially, I think, if you're, if you're trying to sell it to Rob Manfred, right? Because some people will say, and we'll get into this in a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about this at the end for sure. Like, hey, maybe it's a good thing that all these home runs and scoring people like the long ball and, and all of that. But uh, I, I tend to agree with you that it's it's not fair to the pitchers. It's it's too much of a fundamental change. And it is. And everyone listening to this watches most of the games at Coors Field, where, of course, games can be chaotic and long to begin with. And this has not helped the matter at all. Uh, we've had some really I long can't even ones imagine. here. Yeah, really long ones. But what then turned my eye, I, I will say, is – your Twitter account, once I saw the ball players and the manager not running me off of it and, and saying, ah, don't even look into that, when they were all basically saying, please look into this. And uh, one of the things that I found was your Twitter account, and there's a lot of great articles out there. The Wall Street Journal just one, did one recently, and you do have to break it down on the scientific level at some point. But, man, the proof is in the pudding. I think what you've done is so helpful because you can literally just scroll through your Twitter account and find GIF after GIF or, or short video after short video. Uh, you've even started to do a lot of fun stuff with it, the juiced ball home run of the night, and, and people get to vote <laughs> on which one was the most ridiculous but you see these because uh, if you only watch a couple of games again, you might go, ah, that one looked like it was a cheapo, but whatever. When you start stacking right. them up each night, it's really powerful. Exactly. 100% right. I totally agree. Totally agree. So one of the things that I, I, I think is most telling about those gifts, and, and I, I want to see what some of your favorite elements are, but are the hitter reactions you could literally just make a mega gif of the number of times guys have swung at the ball, and they were certain they popped it up, and they stood there for a minute. we got to name this move. you got to come up with a name for this, this standing there certain it's going to be out, and then it suddenly hits them that they have to run the bases. And not only that, they're going to get to run all the way around them. Like, <laughs> that's so crazy. Like, it's no big deal. Like, it's literally no big deal. Like, it's... It's just a casual day at the office. Pop it up, it goes over, and you're running around the bases for a major league home run. What does that matter now? And you always uh, tend to point out to the announcer reactions. Do you have a favorite announcer reaction on the year of a guy just being like, and oh, uh, I guess it's gone? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, um, I'd say probably Gary Cohen for the Mets. I mean, I've watched a lot of Mets games this year, but even the amount of times people send me um, videos of Gary Cohen just going nuts ballistic about the balls <laughs> i mean just from both sides he does it but he just he, he's had enough and we've all had enough because it turned into more of a home run derby if you look at um yesterday this weekend series with the nationals and, and the uh, milwaukee brewers same thing with rendon rendon thought he popped it up and he flipped the bat and he said i'm sorry i thought it was a pop-up this is just two days ago or yesterday yeah and it, it's a joke yeah it, that's that stuff is absolutely crazy. Do you have uh, a top couple of juiced ball home runs of the year yet? There were a couple. There was one I was watching um, 
One was at Wrigley, and you never know how much the wind can play a factor, but it was a yeah. one-handed home run from, was it Baez? But, By Baez? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I definitely have a couple out there. People point out to me that I should do uh, Juice Bowl of the Year. I'm, I'm thinking of, um, I am actually thinking of having a bracket, <laughs> a bracket oh, type like of that. Um, voting. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. I thought that was, um, maybe that, that that's what I should do at the end of the year. I'm still thinking of ways I can also. I want to extend. I don't want just just to go to Juice Bowl home run. I want to extend it to other things. I I kind of touched on on Statcast, which I disagree with. That which is kind of very fishy if you think about Statcast and Launch Angle was talked about just they introduced it just in the nick of time right before the Juice Bowl came in. I thought it was very fishy, um, but that that's a conspiracy on the next level. Yeah, yeah, right. That's a whole other layer. And what I will say on that, though, is because I've heard some people say this, too. Uh, I alluded to one home run in the article I wrote, and it was Eduardo Escobar hitting one 425 feet off of Kyle Freeland. Now, its exit velocity was 99 miles an hour, and it had the perfect, you know, 28, 29 degree launch angle that you want. But the other thing is that people aren't taking into account that the changing of the equipment, mostly the baseball, I've talked about the bat a little bit, that's going to change the exit velo. The fact that, like, that's part of the point. Of course the exit velo is higher because the bats aren't breaking and the balls are built to fly farther and therefore faster with not as decent of a, of a contact as they used to be. Right, but here's my question to you. If they just brought the stack cast in in 2015... And now we know what a good exit velocity is. How do we know what a good exit velocity was before the juice ball? How do we know what, a, what, what would be measured as a home run? You know what I'm saying? They put it in just at the juice ball. So we don't know what a good exit velocity is before the juice ball. So we can't even measure if the home run is juiced. That's why it's very weird that they put it in in 2015. Right. Uh, the one thing that's been very interesting to that is a lot of that data, if you pour into it, it shows you just how cheap these home runs are. Like you said, on one hand, they, there's some comfort because they don't have to go back in time before 2015. At the same time, right. like I've been on StatCast's page when a home run was hit, and it'll pop up at like 30% hit probability. And I'm going... Consistently. Yeah. And, and so, therefore, that really should not have been a home run. Uh, and, and that happens a lot at Coors Field. It happens at Yankee Stadium. I mentioned Minute Maid Park. Uh, there are a couple Philly and Cincinnati in the National League give up a bunch of those, like home runs on stuff 40% hit probability and lower that we just weren't even seeing two or three years ago. Right. So And also, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, okay, no. Okay, so, in, yeah, yeah. It's 20, they, they, they they had listen the balls were juiced from 2015 to 2018, but the fact that they had the audacity to buy Rawlings last year for what 400 million dollars, <laughs> and then change the baseball again, is is beyond what a, a professional league should be doing. They're joking around with these baseball. They they literally bought their the, the baseball company. And did their own thing and expected no one to find out. That's the main reason why I'm mad this year out of any other year. Yeah, and they also did it in AAA. 
and you see the extreme results that have occurred. The AAA level has become, and that's where you're supposed to be evaluating players for the next level. And every time somebody asks me about a Rockies hitting prospect, I got to say, well, yeah, he's got 25 home runs, but and then every well, we time, don't know. And then every time they ask me about a pitching prospect, Peter Lambert has been markedly better at the major league level this year than he was in AAA, where everyone's got a seven ERA. It's like, I don't know if he's terrible or if it's just that they're playing in all these small stadiums that also now have a juiced ball and none of them have humidors or any of those kinds of things. And it's getting absolutely crazy. And I point back to the year. Remember, I don't know if you're a big basketball guy, but years ago, the NBA changed the ball. And it took about a month and a half before all the players said, we're not doing this and anymore. And they complained. Yeah. Yep, and they did it right away. Yeah. I remember that. And and I just it's so weird to me that in Major League Baseball, it seems like we all have to be so hush-hush about it. We're not allowed to talk about it. Like the players will get in trouble if they come out and say, you changed a fundamental part of the game, and it didn't make some small, like, okay, we're going to set a home run record, but by a couple, by over 700 more home runs than just set in 2017. Right. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. So what do you say to people if they say, okay, what's the big deal? More home runs? Chicks dig the long ball? Dudes dig the long ball. We all like home runs. Uh, it's you know more scoring. It might if it grows the game to a new audience. It, it might look different from the the game that you and I watched as kids, and and our parents and their parents watched for all these years. But if this is the new day and age, and, and people will adapt, this is the game we live in now. What do you what do you say to that? Um, I say they don't do enough digging into what the real issue is. The real issue isn't just that it's, home, it's a home run derby. The real issue is that the strikeout rate the walk rate, and the home run rate, the big three true outcomes take over over 50% of the game. And now there's no there's no a stealing, uh, hidden runs, uh, even plays in the field. There's no there's not as many opportunities to, to make diving catches. Um, double plays are it, way down. The, double plays are down. Um, intentional walks. Are, just, there's so many aspects of the game besides home runs. Um, that the game in itself, besides the home run, isn't exciting. Plus, the home run isn't as exciting as it was years ago. Now it's just a casual phenomenon. I used to get uh, so excited over a home run. Now it's like, all right, I hit, we hit one home run this game. How many do we need to hit to win the game? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a fundamental change, and, and you said something about this earlier, and I, I wrote about it in the piece. It's changed the nature of a winning and losing at bat. As much randomness right. as there's always been in baseball, we knew when a guy got a cheap hit, but a cheap hit, that's one thing. If you swing late and you broke your bat and it was a flare to la- left and it happened to fall where nobody was, everyone laughed at you, you laughed at yourself, you walked down to first base, and now let's turn two. But now that losing the at-bat to that extent, you can still end up in a home run. You can be totally fooled by the pitch. The pitcher beat you with his velocity and his location and the quality of his pitch, and you don't just end up with a hit. You end up with a homer. That's where I start to go, something needs to be done here. Right, right. I agree, and I I don't think anything points more to the fact if someone tells you they disagree with the juice ball, I think the number one go-to argument is the AAA argument. I don't think you could get anything more than saying that AAA just put the baseballs in this year, the MLB baseballs in this year, and home runs have increased by 
what is it, over 50% or something? Yeah. Over 50%. Yeah. It's crazy. And the PCL, the the average ERA in the PCL, which is already a hitter's league, I understand. But the average ERA in the PCL is over five. Yeah. That's absurd. Yeah. How do you measure a guy's talent level in the minor leagues? (laughs) It's just everyone hitting home runs. And and how do you you do that? (laughs) I mean... It's crazy. It, it really is, and I I hope that uh, more of a, a storm is is kicked up about this stuff because uh, I feel like something could be done about it. it like you said, they they purchased the company. It, it seems unlikely they're ever going to go back to the exact old baseballs that they had. But uh, you know, the players' union or, or somebody's got to get on board with this. It can't just be Justin Verlander out there by himself. <laughs> like some more people Agreed. are going to need to Agreed. come forward. Uh, and and get this change. Do you have any hope of that occurring? Do you see positive momentum uh, since you're sort of sitting at, at least the heart of this on on the internet conversation? It's so tough because the MLB is continuously changing other aspects of the game. They're not even focused. There. I mean, they're focused on the on the, um, uh, the robot strike zone. They're focused on other things, and it's also the thing is. It is so hard to change the ball back to. How do they know what it used to be? If, if the if the settings on the machines, if the, how yeah. do they know how to get back to that ball? It's, it could be such a minimal difference that could change the balls. So the, they might, they may not even be able to have the technology to know what was the balls back in 2014. How how long was the was the stitching? How exactly long could even a minimal difference could to make it too dejuiced? You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, absolutely. And again, pitchers, because they're trying not to make excuses, obviously, but off record, they'll all tell you that. And I talked to a former Major League pitcher who's been on this podcast several times, Mark Knudsen, who straight up said, oh, I could tell. He said, I could have my eyes closed and tell you the difference between a Spalding baseball, a Rawlings baseball, this one or that one, how wide the seams are, how slick it is, how smooth it is. I prefer my baseballs a little bit stickier. This guy preferred his a little bit smoother. It's a, It makes a huge deal to these guys especially the command guys we've seen kyle freeland struggle with it out here but a guy who's very similar to kyle freeland in his delivery and what he needs to succeed who people know better who might not just be going well maybe he was a fluke is chris sale look at the year chris sale is having and i don't think it's completely unrelated to these these juiced baseballs yeah so it i think especially this year whoever has that slider the slider has been that pitch that people have been unable to throw this year because of the stitching of the ball. Um, you look at Edwin Diaz, you look at, um, there's other guys with the slider that haven't been able to throw it this year because of the baseball. And I mean, it sounds for them, it probably sounds like an excuse to make, uh, make an excuse on the baseball, but that's, that's pretty much all you could tell the difference is it's the baseball. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Mars, man, thanks for joining us, and uh, thanks for uh, doing the work. Uh, like I said, it, it's nice to just be able to go and check. I, I threw some of your tweets into the article because I, th- I think the visual evidence is so much more powerful than the statistics and the science. Like I said, we need all of that. But to just be able to, to scroll through and take a look at it, uh, thank you for basically, like I said, creating an archive where we can go and look and say, no, this is different. This is markedly, clearly different than the type of baseball that's been played through 150 years of, of history. 
there, there's something clearly going on out there. So thanks for that. Is there anything else that uh, you wanted to mention that we can find there uh, on the Twitter? Anything fun coming? Make sure you're voting on Juice Home Run Ball tonight. Try to have some fun. Are you able to have a little bit of fun with it, or are you are you just mad? Because because I got to say, sometimes it looks like on Twitter, it's you're having some fun with this, right? I'm in, uh, I'm enjoying everything. It's it's really. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it if I didn't enjoy it. It's so fun. It's really. It takes a lot of my time. It's great. It's really great. Perfect. Well, like I said, you're 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 doing the Lord's work. You really are. Uh, appreciate it, Mars. <laughs> well, maybe we'll catch up with Thank you sometime. You, Hopefully, there will be some good news in the future. We can have you back on and say, hey, something has changed, and and maybe some of the work that you've done will be uh, a part of the changes that that can be made, a part of the conversation. I hope so. Hopefully so. Thank you so much. All right. That wraps up our conversation for today. I want to thank Mars again for the stimulating conversation on the topic. Would love to get your feedback on it. Like I said earlier, it's something I haven't talked a lot about this year, but I want to see how you, the fans, are feeling. This really is a new dynamic we've all got to deal with, and there might be some people out there going, hey, whatever, more home runs, fine by me, and others who are more in line with Mars saying, look, there's no running, there's no fielding, there's no base stealing, there's no double plays. Uh, This isn't the game of baseball that I fell in love with, and I think there's a fair argument to be made there. I'm probably a little closer to that end right now while still trying to process all of this information as it's still pretty new. But this is the world we're living in. The ball players are all acknowledging of it. And so it's just a question of whether or not there's something that needs to be done or this is the new normal and we all need to get used to it. So make your voices heard. Leave a comment on BSN Denver. That's the best way to make sure that I'll read it. If you have subscribed or if you haven't subscribed, perfect reason to do so. Leave a comment on this podcast or any articles on the site, and I'll make sure that I get around to reading it and discussing it on the podcast, especially if it has to do here with this whole conversation. I really want to get feedback from all of you about how you feel about the new baseball, whether or not it's impacting your enjoyment of the game, either in the positive or the negative. You can hit us up on Twitter at BSN Rockies, at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook or whatever podcast app you happen to be using out there. A little five-star, one-sentence review, or both, always helps people find out who we are and what we're about and make this conversation even better because all of you are absolutely awesome. Therefore, I will promise you that I will remain absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. This episode on the BSN Podcast Network is brought to you by Total Beverage. With more than 70,000 square feet between their Westminster and Thornton locations, there's literally no drink you can't find. I love Total Beverage. I go there probably once a week. That's BSN Sales Director Lindsay Sauer. She's a regular at Total Beverage. I know when I go in there that I am going to get uh, the best bang for my buck, hands down. And if you can't make it in the store, don't worry. Just go to TotalBeverage.net and place an order online. I have also taken advantage of their delivery service. They always give me, um, you know, an hour window. I don't have to wait around all night or all day. And make sure to like the Total Beverage Facebook page to see weekly specials. Remember, for wine, beer, spirits, go to Total Beverage.